You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is a great disturbance in the Force. That's right, Whistler. We're back with episode 60 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast. Your ticket to the EU. We broadcast on Middle Earth Network Radio as well as on the Star Wars Report website. Our episodes are also available on our own Facebook page at SW Beyond Films. But enough about how you got here. We're still in the middle of another episode. In fact, that's right. If you haven't caught number 60, go back and listen to that before you listen to this because this isn't a full episode. This is part two. We had so much Clone Wars Season 1 action that we had to make it a two-parter. So with me, the defender of the EU, Mark Herleman, as always is the EU guru himself, Mr. Nathan P. Butler. Hey, everybody. Glad to be back. It seems like we were just recording about the other episodes about three minutes ago. That's right. So consider this your spoiler warning because we're jumping right back into it. Now, we left off having just finished up the Jedi Crash and Defenders of Peace storyline, which of course then leaves us with Trespass, the Hidden Enemy, Blue Shadow Virus, Mystery of a Thousand Moons, Storm Over Ryloth, Innocence of Ryloth, Liberty on Ryloth, and Hostage Crisis. As well as, to an extent, the film, which we haven't covered separately, we're going to deal with that when we deal with The Hidden Enemy. So we begin with Trespass, and this is an interesting one in that it gives us new character models for the characters because they all have to be, you know, dressed for the cold, which is pretty cool. And our characters are on Orto Plutonia, dealing with towels and dealing with Pantorans, uh, who, of course, are these blue-skinned individuals based on George Lucas's appearance uh, in the opera scene in Revenge of the Sith. We get to meet Ryo Chuchi, the senator, for the first time. We wind up uh, meeting Chairman Cho. Yeah, I, th- I thought it was a really cool episode. It's a one-off episode, but it introduces Ryo Chuchi. We know the Pantorans are now in the universe here. It's not just George Lucas, so they could wind up coming back in other uh, instances, in which case they will, including Lucas's own character, Papanoida, um, in Sphere of Influence. And we just get... I don't know, it's a different-looking episode. You know, we don't really get the snowy atmosphere in the Star Wars films outside of Hoth. And I was kind of curious, you know, what might the Clone Wars have looked like had it been fought on Hoth? Yeah, we got the in-service of the Republic comic book, um, but what would we, what would Lucas do with a snowy atmosphere and the Clone Wars? And we get to at least somewhat see it here. And for those of you Obi-Wan Kenobi, the video game fans, you get the classic, I'm not sure, line from Obi-Wan. I, of course, you know, I'm a big fan, so that cracked me up. I liked Rex's armor, seeing Rex in different stuff was cool. And plus, you get to see Anakin and Obi-Wan wearing their whole full gear. But I don't think that there are toys of those two out there anywhere. Not the Obi-Wan and Anakin. There is of the Rex. And, and you know, we were saying in, in our last episode, the first half of this, of how there's so many different variations out there and so many toys. This last half of the season, I started noticing a lot more variations in the characters that have not found their way to toys that I would like to see, in fact. You know, speaking of these different character designs, though, and the toys and such, I mean, this kind of feels like the episode of this season. I mean, I know that it's probably not the one that introduced the most new character models because, of course, we had, you know, a a lot of different characters introduced throughout this season. I mean, this was the season where they were constantly adding new character models into the mix. But, I mean, you had to have a different look for all the major characters. You had to add the towels. You had a different look for the troopers because, of course, they had to have that different um, uh, helmet style here. I mean, it just kind of struck me that this was one that really it seemed like they went all out 
when it came to the character models and the new uh, elements that they added. And it wound up being only a single episode. You would usually figure that if they were going to add a whole bunch of new stuff, a whole lot of new assets to the mix, that they would have made it a longer story. But instead, we get kind of a nice, compact, interesting, decent little story um, with a lot of new elements added into it that they, they haven't really gone back to all that much either. Well, another thing was, did you get the feeling like the talls were kind of like Predator? Like in the first Predator, it was like all of a sudden people are being taken out, both sides, no one knows what it is, heads on on spikes, like trophies, like, wait, what's going on? And then when they finally get to him, you're like, oh, okay, they kind of like got this primitive feel to them, tribal. Were the talls, is this their first technical introduction to the galaxy or is this just a tribe of talls that have set up on this planet? I, I didn't get a good feel for that. I think it's supposed to just be this group of Tals, because we see Tals in a lot of other tales. I mean, Tals are even in the Old Republic MMO at this point. But I mean, okay. so I mean, they've been around for a while. But, you know, I think the assumption was this is a group that settled this world. And even though it might legally be, you know, Pantor in space, it's kind of one of those possession is nine tenths of the law kind of things. Right. I mean, yeah. they're the ones actually living there. So they stake their own claim. Well, the Pantherans had a base on there, and I noticed, like, when when they take the ships and the speeders and stuff out of it, it very much had a Hoth uh, hangar feel to it. You know, I was like, oh, that's cool. And I, I don't know. Some people might find that cliche, but that's – Star Wars is a, a series of cliches set up and, and taking ideas from other things. So anytime you see something from one of the Star Wars films replayed again, to me, that's that's part of Star Wars. And speaking of replaying films, the next episode we've got is one that really kind of threw us for a loop back in Season 1, because nobody saw this coming, it seems like. We have an episode here called The Hidden Enemy. And rather than being a story that continues forward in the timeline, or the jumbled-up timeline of Season 1, as was dealt with in our last episode, the first half of this one, um, we get a story here that's essentially a prequel to the Clone Wars film. We see uh, Anakin and Obi-Wan on Christophsis. Ahsoka has not arrived yet. It's them with Rex, with Cody, with their troopers, trying to wind up stymieing uh, the Separatist efforts there, with Loathsome, of course, uh, on his way, or I guess he's, he's on the ground now. And Asajj Ventress is present, as opposed to going off on the mission to kidnap Jabba the Hutt's son, which he must do between this and the film. And it winds up becoming a story about a treacherous clone, someone who uh, has turned against the war effort already this early on into it, and I think as much as this was kind of a freak out to people to see a prequel, and don't get me wrong, I like this episode. I think it makes for a good prequel. It was kind of a surprise. And of course, then we were surprised even more later to find that this isn't even the earliest in the continuity because we'll get Cat and Mouse, which is a prequel to this prequel to the film that is a prequel to the main series, which is a prequel to episode three, which is part of the prequel trilogy. Oh, God. See, and I don't understand what about this episode made it be number 16. Why could they have put this one as number one? What about it was so not developed yet that they had to wait this long? I mean, that especially considering the next episode is going to jump again. Uh, you know, there, there's some things about this, though, that I liked a lot. You know, like, where's my Hawk figure? You know, I, again, getting at those those figures. And the fact that they behead the tactical droid for use of his uh, information, I thought that was an interesting little trick. And did Palpatine, as Sidious, have a hand in this spy's turning? There are things like that that I wanted to know. And then Ventress, when she shows up, she mentions a loyal informant. 
And I, you know, this is before we realize that it's the clone, but as we get to that point, it starts to dawn on me. I question, you know, how does she get a clone to be loyal? And granted, we get the answer from his point of view, but it had me thinking about the fact that, you know, we have the quote unquote kiss of death that got cut from one of the later seasons where Asajj kisses one of the clones and then stabs him through the chest. But it got back to that whole, what if she had started a romance with one of the clones? Like I, I, I got, I started thinking that direction again. And I was like, wow, this could have been one of those angles that she could have used. And then we find out later that he said it was for freedom. What kind of freedom did she offer, I question? I think it was just that argument that, you know, you are essentially bred as a clone to die in the war. Don't you want something more? That type of argument. It seems like it's at the core of a lot of the arguments about whether or not having a clone army is a moral thing for the galaxy far, far away at this point. Though I will say... Looking back at this episode, one of the coolest things to me was that we're finally getting somewhat into the psychology of the clones. And granted, the, the clone who actually is the traitor, Slick, his psychology, we don't get a lot of death which, Oh, I wanted freedom. Okay, give me some more information. But I do like the fact that we had Chopper, who is very much like uh, the this classical kind of Vietnam bad boy type character that like they did with... um. It was Dolph Lundgren's character in Universal Soldier, where they played <laughs> on the idea of cutting off body parts from the vanquished foes and wearing them on a necklace. Of course, with his character kind of playing on the whole issue back in Vietnam, it was ears. In this case, it's droid fingers. But I thought that was kind of a cool touch that they're giving us a sense that these clones, even though they're clones, they are individuals as they spend more time you know, developing through life experience, and they're not quite so different from the type of soldiers and the type of traumas that we see in, you know, the real world. It's something that season one doesn't do a whole lot with, but it's that the series is going to wind up doing in great effect in later episodes, such as the Carnage of Krell uh, episode and the episodes leading up to it on Umbara. So I think it's kind of cool that we get that introduced here, albeit in a very subtle way. Well, and then we also get some great character interactions, too. I mean, we get Kenobi talking to Ventress, and he calls her my sweet, you know, and, and things like that that... I love that running aspect of Kenobi, you know, that he's quick to, you know, use the the love isms, as it were, which to me plays into the aspect of where I think he lied to Satine and made her, you know, fall for him because he's just a pimp player. That's just that's what he does. You know, he kills him with kindness. This episode, though, by the time I got done with it, my notes here, I'm like, I'm just like screaming. Why is this all out of order? <laughs> this makes no sense. You know, I, I just get back to that. I, I really I think it would be fun, though, to someday maybe do a commentary or something like that of all the episodes when the entire series is done and, and moved beyond and, and watch them in order. Because, you know, even though I'm watching them in, out of order, I just I have to sit down and watch them all back to back to right, kind of get that feel. And I really think. I, I mean, I understand from the money-wise and the, the building the character model aspect of it, why they did it the way they did it, but from getting the most out of the show, I really think they should have built more of these models before they rolled things out, kind of rolled it out better, because it definitely leaves the the excitement for these seasons, the first two, are nowhere near as, as, as exciting as I'm feeling for seasons four and five, you know, because those ones are more bam, 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 bam. Granted, five, we, we've had a couple of episodes that are out of order again, kind of getting back to that wait a minute moment. But it, it that model of putting them out of order just, I, it didn't work with Firefly. I don't see why they think it's working with Star Wars. And the fact that so far Star Wars is continuing, they're probably seeing that as, well, it's a successful model, so let's continue. And that's just a bad idea. But at least they, they fixed that. I don't think they had a whole lot of choice in this time period in terms of which episodes they produced in what season. 
So, and especially since they had to really kind of boost production on the first half. Usually what they do is you'll find that the first half of a given season, like say the first half of season five, was actually produced as the back half of season four's production order. So they actually have those ready to go, and then they're putting those out while they're working on the back half of the season. So I mean, I can sort of see why from a production standpoint they needed to, but at least now that they've got the assets for it, as we get into the later years, as we get into basically the last half of the season now, at this point, uh, basically from uh, season 2.5 or halfway into season 3, into the end of it, now except for Revival, which they moved for basically the Darth Maul effect, but fortunately it's going to be moved back continuity-wise, um, except for that, they pretty much have told the stories in order since then. So hopefully they're seeing that that is getting a much more positive response. Speaking of episodes that get somewhat positive response, we've got Blue Shadow Virus and Mystery of a Thousand Moons next with Dr. Nuvo Vindi, who was freaking bizarre, uh, but Michael York's voice work on him, making him the mad scientist, was very uh, uh, compelling, I guess. Even I mean, he was sort of the classic cartoon-style character here. But it well, and even the-, the room, though, the room he was in had a black and white classic feel to it. You know, it was like anytime they weren't looking at Padme and Qu- and Jar Jar and they would scroll over to him and his droids, everything looked black and white. Yeah. And they gave him sort of that that classic, uh, the the, uh, the goggles and such. He looks very much like a cartoon style or a comic book style, classic comic book kind of villain that we get. It brings the menace for the first time to Naboo. Which lets us see some characters there, of course, like Peppy Bow and whatnot, and see some familiar locations. But it, it makes the, I would say it makes the menace feel a little bit more palpable, so to speak. Uh, then, of course, we wind up seeing where the the angels from Iego came from, that whole concept. Um, so we get little bits and pieces of background to some of the stuff that that uh, the, the, the diathem, how Anakin in Episode One is basically saying, "Are you an angel? They move, live on the moons of Iego, I think." And he's referring to these. It's not a religious thing. He's referring specifically yeah. to these beings. What gets me, though, what bugs me about these episodes, I like the peril, although, of course, you know Padme's not going to die. What gets me about this is, wasn't this the pair of episodes that introduced us, yes, it was, I'm looking at it right now, to Queen Niutni? Why yeah. did we need another Queen of Naboo when we've got Queen Apelana in episode three? We've got Queen Jamilia in episode two. There's only a three-year gap between those. What happened to Jamilia to cause her to be gone for Neutni? And what happens to Neutni for her to be gone for Apilana to be in episode three? Was it just they didn't want to create a character model based on one of those two actresses? They wanted to make one, you know, kind of out of nowhere? Because it seemed like there is no point whatsoever to having Neutni be a different queen in here. It could have been either of those two that already existed and have it not affect the episode in any way. I mean, I was expecting Mutiny to die of the blue shadow virus so that <laughs> she could die and it not be one of the queens we saw on screen in the films, but it wasn't. What were they doing? Well, and they do the same thing with, with Boss Nas and the, and the Gungan side of things, too. We see them also through the next season or one of the other seasons. They do something very similar. It's like almost like they intended to once again stretch out that period. Well, it's only a year period. No, it's two years period. No, it's three year period. No, we're going to make it seven year period. Well, and even when, and when they do it for Leone, it's even worse because the only point is we need to have a boss who looks enough like Jar Jar that Jar Jar could impersonate him for gags in this one episode. No! Yeah. And and for me, I mean, this episode, I realized I put down, I'm starting to dislike Padme. 
only because she brings Jar Jar everywhere. It's, and that's just it. It's like Jar Jar. I don't know. I, I really did not like Jar Jar in, in this TV show. Like, like the voice threw things so far off. And the fact that it was like, he's just even more a bumbling idiot. Like, I mean, occasionally they would get it right where it was like, okay, I could see him doing that. But most of the time it was so over the top. I was like, really? But again, I get back to that wanting of toys where I'm like looking at where are my Padme and Jar Jar and their hazmat figures. You know, I want to see Jar Jar with his little eye stalks pushed forward where he looks very uncomfortable. I felt very, very happy seeing Jar Jar uncomfortable. And, and you know, the Clone Wars is making me this way. I didn't hate Jar Jar. I disliked him strongly, but I'm really leaning towards hating that guy. Which is funny because I'm the opposite. I did not like him in Episode 1. I still don't like him in Episode 1, though I find Episode 1 is much more viewable and watchable now for some reason on Blu-ray than it ever was on DVD or oh. otherwise. Because um, I'm really enjoying just the fidelity, I guess, of the picture of all the films now. But I didn't like him there. In Episode 2, he doesn't do a whole heck of a lot. But he's needed to be there. Like, they needed him to be the buffoon character in Episode 1, so it makes sense for him to be the one who is duped tragically into thinking it's the right thing to give all the power to the Supreme Chancellor in Episode 2. Then, of course, we only see him, I guess, at the funeral, really, in Episode 3. But I find in this series, he fits, because the series has those cutesy elements. It is a cartoon show. He is not totally out of place when he's doing goofball things, being the one CG character on the screen, or the one in focus, because you know Lucas loves to clutter up it cut up the film with uh, tons of background CG characters that don't need to be there. But here, at least, he the, the humor plays well, and his look, he looks, heck, he looks more true to his film self than any of the other characters do because of the stylization, because he was originally a CG character. But Gungan General, Blue Shadow Virus, and Mystery of a Thousand Moons from this season do have the one thing with Jar Jar that grates on the fabric of my soul beyond just the character's appearance in Episode 1 about Jar Jar. And that is bringing in B.J. Hughes instead of Ahmed Best to do his voice. B.J. Hughes should not voice Jar Jar again. Hey, he, does a, he does a poor job of doing it. It doesn't sound like the Jar Jar we expect. And I, I don't know why, but for some reason, maybe it's because he started as a CG character or because his voice is so iconic. I can understand, like, heck, when I read Star Wars novels, like I was in the process of reading through um, uh, The Last Jedi right now. And, there's, and there are some moments where they're thinking about, you know, what Anakin might have done in a certain situation. It's a flashback to Anakin and Jax Pavan doing a, a, a training duel. And when I hear Anakin's voice, I hear Matt Lanter. I don't hear Hayden Christensen anymore. Yeah. Um, I hear uh, James Arnold Taylor for Obi-Wan, but he's so close to Ewan McGregor that it doesn't really make that much of a difference here. But mm -hmm. I just cannot get my head around B.J. Hughes and his voice of Jar Jar versus the other voice of Jar Jar. It's the one voice in this series that, by being different, felt discordant and kicked me out of the episode. And I don't know why just that voice would do it, but well, it did. Think, I'm glad they got Ahmed Best back to do Jar Jar than the few times he's shown up since then. I think it was because when he was doing his stuff, they would use the original voice. Because that was what I was noticing. It was like, anytime Jar Jar screamed, it sounded like Jar Jar. And then he'd go back to talking. It was like, who in the heck is this? And you were mentioning the angel, and I wanted to point out while you were talking about it. Did you notice how the angel kind of reminded, well, at least to me, it reminded me of the sister from the Mortis trilogy. I was like, oh. Yes, she did. Luminous beings are they, apparently. And another one, and you might be able to answer this. When I first saw Dr. Vindic, I thought he was a mun. Maybe he is, maybe he isn't, but I, I'm leaning that way. His head kind of has that mun-like feel to it. Granted, his eyes are kind of more sloped and a little olive, but... 
I don't know. I mean, I, I, I didn't know what he was. He was an interesting character. I will give him that. He had the mad scientist feeling. As far as I know, he is a Faust uh, for his species from the planet Adana, though, you know, there's not a whole lot we know about that particular species. I mean, it's pretty much one of those, we're going to create a character that looks the way we want him to look, and if he fits a species, fine. If he doesn't, oh well. I thought, honestly, he looks a lot more like Mr. Freeze from the old Batman cartoon than just about anything else. So, hey, Batman, chill. God, bad, bad memories <laughs> that, of Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, I, yeah, that was that was funny when he put that on. You know, another thing I really disliked, though, about going back to Naboo is those hamsters with the big butts. You know, they weren't funny in episode two and seeing them back again. I'm like, really, can't we find a better type of herd animal? Please. He dislikes big butts on hamsters and he cannot lie. Anyway. Um, <laughs> all right. So we then get to, of course, what is usually thought of as the high point or one of the high points of this season. The so-called Ryloth Trilogy, which was released along with Rookies as a as the Clone Commando DVD before it was released, of course, as part of this season set. And what we've got here, really, with uh, the Ryloth Trilogy, I think, is where the series needed to go. It needed to be able to tell stories that were broader in scope, where instead of it being one small thread that ties it together, like the whole Newt Gunray thing to tie together Bombad Jedi uh, all the way up through Lair of Grievous... In this case, it actually is one storyline. It's not three different situations with one MacGuffin. They are all about the battle for Ryloth. Granted, this is the one that introduced the whole issue of Ryloth's rotation, which became a huge issue, not in fandom. But they play it well. We get three storylines all aiming towards the same goal, essentially three different fronts in a lot of ways, you could say, uh, for this particular uh, circumstance. We get Martuk as another of these separatist leaders who, of course, you know, is presumably going to die by the end of the episode, or at least disappear. We get Watt Tambor showing up for episode two. He winds up getting, I mean, I don't know if you noticed this in this week's episode, The Jedi Who Knew Too Much, but if you look at the screens when they're in the prison complex, Watt Tambor is still in prison as of, as of the <laughs> events of this episode in that unless he's been, unless he has uh, freed himself and then wound up getting captured all over again or something like that. Um, we get the uh, ATRTs in here. We meet Sham Sindula. Um, the rebel leader and the whole idea of, you know, well, is 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 siding with the Republic just going to wind up with the Republic instead of the Separatists dominating the planet? There's a lot of, of neat aspects to the story here. And, of course, we get a shifting of focus as we go along from the clones, of course, in one, uh, to us having Mace Windu show up as a primary character. And then, of course, we have our, our huge buildup to the end in that final confrontation here with the tactical droid and whatnot. This was kind of... I guess season one's way of showing, see, this is what this series can be. This is the kind of stuff to expect in season two. I'm surprised they didn't make this the season finale. But, of course, they still have hostage crisis to go. The whole Ryloth aspect, I remember this is when I started to pay attention to the Clone Wars. Because, you know, the Gindy series came out and I I didn't have cable. So I waited until it came out on TVD and I watched it and I enjoyed it. It was all fun. I was going to do the same thing. And then all of a sudden people were like, whoa! destroying continuity right off been doomed and i'm like wait what and so i'd start paying more attention but i remember somewhere and i don't know if it was on uh, the tfn forums or if it was the original site official site forums back in the day somebody had and he was a scientist of some form he did some astrology type stuff and came up with a scenario where you could have a planet that both spun around, had a day and night, but was also tidelocked. And I was like, how? But it was huge. He had like a three-page long explanation as to how it could happen. 
And I was like, okay, this guy obviously has done the homework and research, and that was fine with me. I'm like, if somebody could do that, then I'm okay with it. There was also the uh, Ahsoka's R7 droid, which again, you know, I'm retconning that back to being it's uh, a model number no more. It's just a series number. But it was cool seeing that she finally got her first command. She gets Blue Squadron. And watching, you know, again, I was talking about how uh, the way that she kind of learns the lessons and stuff. This is another one of those. I mean, she just kind of gets handed the squadron. Here you go. And she goes out there and makes some mistakes. And it ends up costing her. She comes back with just two of her clones. All because she wanted to push the fight. And did not heed her master's warnings. So it's funny to watch that aspect of their relationship and how she's learning and how, you know, in this war, there is no, you know, uh, uh, holograms. There is no trial runs here. You're literally putting lives at risk. And if you fail, people die. And, you know, you watch that happen to her. And that was kind of that was an interesting take to come from from this episode. Another thing about this that I thought was kind of striking was how Anakin you know, again, getting back to how he's training Ahsoka, he himself sacrifices over half of his ships and troops to accomplish the mission. I mean, then he goes and, and loads up to do the kamikaze run where he's on the the, uh, the cruiser or destroyer or whatever it is by himself. You know, that was a cool little little plan that they had. And yet from the council side of things, he lost over half his troops. And that's kind of starting to seem to be a theme, especially with him and Rex. It's like everywhere you see Rex go, Rex ends up with like two two troopers and that's it. They're like holding it down, just the two of them, three of them. You're like, whoa, what's going on again? Again, they're getting taken down. The cruisers, though, I, I noticed when we see a shift from like the cruisers to the destroyers at some point in the last three episodes here. Now, do we have just two styles of ships at this point or is there going to be a third one of the Star Destroyer look to them? There's a, a battleship that comes later that looks kind of like a cross between one of these and the uh, the blockade runner, yeah. Okay, because I noticed that, you know, it, when we get to this next one on the Innocents and stuff, that we see some of them that are coming down into the planet, the style that are actually able to land and stuff. And I, I, I like, you know, I'm, I've never been one of those ones that are big on the fleet stuff, you know, and following, well, this ship went there, that ship went there. You know, kind of like how you are with cro- continuity and, and chronological stuff. There are people that do that with the fleets. And while I enjoy the ship models and all that kind of stuff, I've got the, the die cast and stuff. I'm not that into it, but it's definitely cool when you see the different models starting to show up, you know, and they're, they're rolling out the different models into the fleet and they're coming out and they're taking their place on the war front and stuff. It's cool. I like that's the side of this that I always enjoy. You know, I mean, granted, some people are like, oh, the clones are too dark. It, it, again, getting back to it's Star Wars, the clone wars. If you can't handle war, get out. And that, of course, brings us around to the final episode of the season which turns out takes place much, much, much later. Actually, the second-to-last episode before they jump in time to move to the newer character models for the characters and the older version of Ahsoka. And that's the episode Hostage Crisis. We saw Zero the Hut get arrested back in the Clone Wars film, and now Cad Bane is on a mission having been hired to free him. We don't know by who. We don't know how he brought this team together outside of some stuff that we get with the uh, the webcomics and whatnot. But we are going to eventually wind up getting the whole evil plans and hunt for zero stuff that will round out this story. But we're getting basically, as we will with, I believe it's uh, Senate Murders, we're getting a, a middle episode out of a trilogy of episodes without getting the other two in this season whatsoever, which is a little bit bizarre. Uh, it made it very confusing the next season when people saw Holocron Heist early on and thought Holocron Heist must be after this episode when it turns out, no, it's well before it. Uh, another one of those bizarre things because of the whole order of production versus order of, uh, of chronology. 
But it is kind of cool we get to see Cad Bane lead a team in there to try to force uh, through basically taking hostages, including Padme and uh, Bale, that they are going to force the Republic to free Zero the Hutt. And we get to see Cad Bane's group come in there with members like Aura Singh, which it's cool to see. She will play a bigger role as the series continues. Helios 3D, which of course looks like IG-88. We get Romo Nino, who winds up appearing later, also winds up playing a role, a significant role, in the uh, Secret Missions books, in Curse of the Black Hole Pirates. So uh, Cad Bane makes a debut, bringing other characters and circumstances making their debut here that will play out later. And I remember thinking Cad Bane seems pretty cool, but where is this character going to go? Because they keep on creating these cool villain characters and killing them off almost immediately. The fact that he manages to survive this episode was shocking to me, and basically wins in this episode was shocking to me. But of course, now we know he is a major player, very much like Hondo Onaka and Domino Squad would wind up coming to be. There's a lot about this one that I actually like. We, we get to do the jump back to Coruscant, but... Cad has this feeling of making everything kind of feel like a Western. You know, I was like, as soon as he shows up, I'm just like waiting for the shootout to happen. But, you know, you, you mentioned his team. And one of the things that jumped out to me was that he had droid commandos with him. So immediately I was like, ooh, has he got the CIS working with him? What's going on here? When Anakin and Padme, we see that Anakin's on vacation. And I found it was really funny that while he's on vacation with some leave, she's hard at work. And, and again, you get that moment where, you know, Padme has to share her, her views of how how the galaxy works with Anakin, you know, it's like, we got to do this for the greater good. Anakin. it's like, there's always that moment of Anakin just wants to go and be about them. And she's got to reel them back going, be a good boy, Anakin, you know, and, and they're constantly doing that. And I feel bad for Anakin at this point. It's like, can't he just be a husband and a wife for once? Can't you just honor the man, Padme, just one time? Oh, wait, you did. There's Luke and Leia. I like the fact that they do get that tension here. Cause we don't get that all that much in this series. Uh, you would think that everybody around them should know, especially Ahsoka, for instance, but it's interesting to see this interplay because, of course, next season will wind up introducing us to Satine. And we get to see how Obi-Wan dealt with not exactly similar circumstances, but similar enough that we can see how the two Jedi handle things in their own particular ways based on their personality, their upbringing and such. Uh, in Anakin's case, with attachments. In Obi-Wan's case, in theory, without and such. Um, I do like the fact that basically, without saying it, by Anakin leaving the lightsaber with her um, and her having to keep it from the bounty hunters, she, he's basically saying, hey, let's play a game of hide the lightsaber, which has always been kind of the joking reference to something else, as you said, to create Luke and Leia. <laughs> See, okay, now for me, getting to that moment, that's when I realized, oh my god, this episode is Die Hard and Anakin is John McClane. His lightsaber is his shoes. As soon as I realized that, this episode took on a whole new direction for me i actually i started enjoying it a lot more anakin's role in it was funnier and granted the whole hide the lightsaber is good but the whole aspect of the vacation thing it, it left me wondering back there was an earlier episode i can't remember off the off the top of my head which name it was but it, it's an episode where luminara and ahsoka are together and anakin's not there and I, you know this episode I, i'm kind of like okay is, could this be taking place at the same time as one of those or another episode like that because there are moments where Ahsoka's with other Jedi masters and they don't quite really explain why she's with them and where Anakin is. And this kind of gives you that feel for, okay, so he's taken some leave. Okay. All right. So maybe this is why she's with 
that Jedi Master over here in that episode or with that one over there and that one. We also see other episodes where like when Anakin gets injured and stuff where we actually see it take place like, okay, well, she's with she's with Secure because Anakin's hurt. Okay, that makes sense. But these little vacation times are also really cool in that aspect that they can write that in. I believe Wild Space may have done that uh, or it could have been Gambit. One of the two kind of wrote that in as well that that Anakin would take a lot of vacation and leave Ahsoka with Rex a lot, which I thought was kind of funny as well. I don't know. I guess this season, if we were to sort of wrap up, you know, the, the whole thing in, into one whole, yeah, it was jumbled, but it had enough of these character moments. It had enough of those film references, although sometimes beating us over the head with the film references, and it introduced enough new characters, new situations, that I think it left me feeling, this has potential. I was not yet ready to say, as I am now, that if it came down to one Clone Wars continuity or the other, if they were going to drop one and keep one, it was essentially an all-or-nothing deal, that I would be okay with this being the one that they kept and the original being what they dropped. I wasn't nearly to that point yet, but at least I was willing to give it a chance. It's going to take really until Season 3 for me to be able to say that. But I think it introduced enough new elements and enough new players into the game. You know, it kind of had me thinking, okay, if this is Lucas's way of wanting to play it, Let's see how this plays out, but let's hopefully get some some sense of continuity to these episodes later. Starting it out with the headaches of Wild Space and the early episodes of the series and lightsaber duels was not a good start for someone who's very continuity-minded as I am. But uh, I would say that this is probably the worst of the seasons, or I guess the weakest of the seasons at this point. I mean, it's solid enough, I guess. It creates enough foundations that it's a necessary viewing for those who are going to view the other seasons, but it certainly is not nearly as strong as any of the seasons that are to follow. It, it's the it's the training wheel stage. Yeah. I mean, okay, George, we get it. You watched a few Quentin Tarantino films and you wanted to try a style out. Thank you for at least after the second season stopping with that mimicry because you know it worked for quentin it doesn't quite work so well for the clone wars i don't like that aspect of it i I do enjoy like i said if you watch each one of these as a 21 22 episodes and and that aspect just watch the episode and get the fill out of the start the beginning and the end or even do it by arc you're going to enjoy what you get uh if you sit down and you put in season one and you want to watch how the clone wars happen i you're not gonna be happy I'm not happy. I'm still waiting for that moment. Um, I granted I could probably sit here and and factor it out and probably get there, but I don't know if tomorrow they're not gonna take and make an episode that fits place back here. They could, and you know what? They've made a precedence of showing me that not only could they, they do. And so I I feel like I can't say well they won't because hey we got episode seven eight nine coming and George said he wasn't gonna do that. We didn't think he was gonna sell Star Wars and Lucasfilm, and yet he sold that. I mean, you know, I, I'm in a in a point now where I'm back to anything is possible. So it's 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 weird to be that kind of a fan looking at these things because it's like, okay, well, yeah, it's chopped up and thrown in a in a weird direction, but anything's possible. They could fix this, and and when I say fix this, I just mean you know when it's all over, they could presented in a way that everybody's able to watch it from start to beginning and, and get the most joy out of it. I, I think of shows like Prison Break. You know, if you were to take that show and, and do what they've done with this season, that show would have died. It would have never gotten anywhere. You know, they, they got really lucky in the aspect that everybody loves Star Wars and will give Star Wars a chance whether the story is good or bad. They will give it a chance. And those chances equal numbers. And those numbers equals the fact that they're going to keep putting that show out there. Hey, it's making the numbers. Thank you, Star Wars fans, for liking it enough to get it past those first few seasons because that chopped up aspect definitely made it tougher to swallow. 
Luckily, though, the arcs and the stories, they speak for themselves and they are quality material. Uh, you know, you mentioned, would you take one over the other? I still have a hard time seeing it as two because I've got my Dark Horse comics version of the Clone Wars. I've got the Gendy series version of the Clone Wars. And now I've got this one. And I, have, I can't quite get any two to really mesh well together yet. So I'm like... I'm in that state of disbelief or, or pause, as it were, with the whole trying to consolidate and make a, a big picture out of it. You know, I, I'm still looking at the puzzle, and I know that I've got, according to the box here, a really cool-looking puzzle. And I know if I take the time to put it all out, it will be that puzzle. But right now, I'm not exactly sure if I have all the pieces, because this box was already open when I got it. And, of course, this episode, The Hidden Enemy, wouldn't even exist if it was not for the fact that we have a film to lead into. They had taken four episodes early in production and decided that they were going to merge them into a movie. And what we get here is kind of an interesting tale with the film in that it gives us the Battle of Christophsis, it gives us uh, the introduction of Ahsoka Tano, which of course was like, what? At the time, you know, how does Anakin possibly have a Padawan? Why is he somehow a knight right now instead of still being a Padawan? What the hell is going on and all that stuff? Um, but it introduces Rota the Hutt, gives us the whole issue of the huts and the hyperlanes and whatnot, gives us the this series' version of all these different characters, gives us clashes between Obi-Wan and Asajj Ventress, in which we get the sense that maybe there's a little bit of flirtation going on between those two. Um, it really lays a lot of foundations for what, of course, is to come, and then, oddly enough, Hidden Enemy goes and lays a foundation for that, and Cat and Mouse will lay a foundation for that. I remember when this first was announced, being really skeptical, like, oh, you got to be kidding. How are they going to insert Ahsoka into here? I mean, still, how they're going to make it fit <laughs> with Ahsoka in there when she's never mentioned in any of the stuff that must come after this leading up to Revenge of the Sith, never mentioned in Revenge of the Sith unless they work something in for the 3D release or something like that, if that ever happens. There, there's a lot of Confusion about how is this going to wind up being able to reconcile with what we've seen before. Not just the comics and the novels, but also the films themselves, particularly Revenge of the Sith. But, placing that aside, I will say that at first I was not sure about giving Ahsoka a chance. I think she started to grow on me by about season two. In this season, she's, eh, she's kind of there. It's the cutesiness that gets me. I like the older Ahsoka now. Uh, the cutesy sky guy and all that stuff, and r 2 e and stinky, and the fact that that starts pretty much, it's like the moment she's with Anakin for the first time, she's calling him sky guy. And, you know, if this was anybody else other than Anakin, who is also kind of a smart aleck in some respects, you would expect him to be like, no, do not call me that. I will slap you down if you start <laughs> calling me that. Like, if, like, okay, my students sometimes call me Mr. B, and that's fine. Okay, if they came up with a different nickname, like Butt Guy, yeah, that wouldn't work. Um, Mr. Peanut Butter. If they came up with something like that and on the first day started using it, I'd be slapping them down like crazy because you don't know me that way yet. I'm an authority figure. You get your butt in line, and then we'll deal with anything like that once you actually know who you're dealing with and we have any level of comfort with each other because we do not have that right now. We just met. She shows up as a grading presence in this movie. Now, going back and watching it, I can enjoy it a lot more. But at first, she felt like a grating presence. But, I don't know. I think it played out well enough. The action sequences were well done. We get the vertical fight, of course, uh, up to the monastery and whatnot. We get to see Ventress and Obi-Wan fighting. 
Uh, I mean, for something, and we get, you know, Anakin battling with Dooku. Of course, this opens up that long-running joke on Republic Forces Radio Network with, you know, how every single time that Anakin battles with Dooku, it changes the scenario for Revenge of the Sith when he says, my powers have doubled since the last time we met Count. Well, apparently that wasn't three years ago now. This might have been three days ago or three weeks ago. But it certainly wasn't nearly as far back as saying, you know, his powers have doubled since Geonosis. You know, now his powers have doubled since, heck, you know, the last episode where they happened yesterday. to have fought each other. Yeah, since yesterday, since three hours ago. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it had its, its frustrating things. Now, looking back on I really enjoy it, and i got to say, I enjoy watching that more, I guess, this entire series, really, and the Star Wars films, more on Blu-ray than I do otherwise. And this series definitely, including the film, benefits from that Blu-ray transition. You've got the uh, the widescreen aspect of it, the full aspect ratio aspect of the episodes, but this also, the sound and everything else, really jumps, that really pops, so to speak, when you're watching it in high definition. So I... I was skeptical at the time. You can watch, listen to old episodes of the Butler Universe um, over at StarWarsFanWorks.com and see my thoughts of the early season before I joined Republic Forces Radio Network to start talking about them. Um, but I think now, as a whole, I'm willing to cut more slack to this and just sit back and enjoy the film. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny because you mentioned, you know, how are they going to get Ahsoka in there? And now it's kind of like, how are they going to get her out of there? You know, <laughs> how do we get her out? And yet it still makes sense that she's never mentioned again. I mean, granted, the, the era period of when she disappears is prime for having someone just disappear. Uh, you know, and you mentioned how she does the whole Sky Guy and R2E and all that. I, I saw her as having some hero worship coming into it. Like, she was the one that got chose to be the Padawan of the one. The chosen one, the one that everybody in the temple is talking about. You know, I mean, like, like there's that aspect of it. Plus, he's not that much older than her. I mean, not really. I mean, what are we talking about here? Just not even like two or three years ago, he himself was kind of jumping into that role. I mean, granted, he was one of the younger ones to be taken on in that regard, but he was not that long ago. He himself was in the temple being trained in some of these things. And heck, he could have maybe even been in some classes with her for all we know. He could have been a senior to her freshman. I mean, there's a gap period there. About the same age-wise, I think. Uh, maybe. The, the, those are the type of details that the TV show just can't give you. And so it's kind of those things that, like, you know, you'll get, like, a statement from Chi. You'll get Pablo say something maybe about something. Or Lucas, they'll give you some Lucasfilm direct message. Oh, this is that. And this is this. And... You know, when you get those, then you kind of start to add that to it. But the actual meat of the episodes don't give you those little type of details. And so, you know, we're kind of having to, to figure those things out for themselves. When it comes to the movie, I remember when I watched it, I was thinking, you know, like I said, the beginning of this or, or the full episode, how I thought it was the launch of the series. You know, that was how they originally announced it. We're going to have a Clone Wars movie and it's going to launch the TV show. That's not at all what we got, but. I remember at the time thinking that was what it was going to be. And when, when Ahsoka showed up, I remember, whoa, Lucas is doing it again. He's totally, you know, I remember at that point thinking, you know, Lucas finds ways to, to surprise me in ways that I couldn't be surprised. And, and he continued to do it. And yet here, once again, bam. And once that happened, you had to accept the fact that this is the reality and roll with it. So I was trying to be positive about it right away. I had a daughter. Now I have two. And I was like, hey, you know, a, a third person, kind of an added to the big three aspect. Now you've got Obi-Wan, you've got Anakin, and now you got Ahsoka. Hey, we got big three. Padme, she technically shouldn't be a big three anyway. She's a senator. She shouldn't be involved in these wars. Getting back to that word again that I love so much about the saga. But when you see her kind of 
jump into that role, you're like, right on, you know, okay. Now here's a character that my daughter can actually look to, you know, she's growing up. She's right there with them. She's going to be in the same light as them. It gets back to that. How are they going to get Ahsoka out of there though? Because, you know, they never had her mentioned in revenge of the Sith. And that book is great. And they talk about Obi-Wan and Anakin being this awesome duo. The episodes do kind of still show us that we do get a lot of episodes where Ahsoka has gone somewhere else, mainly in the later seasons. But there is that aspect of I, I think they need to pay attention to that and, and and focus on those aspects of where the movies start and where this TV show begins. And don't go too far in what you give us that it requires you to create another webcomic just to fix what you've made. You mentioned the whole uh, age thing with her and Anakin. And that is something that kind of the, the age of Ahsoka was always something that left me a little bit uh, concerned because of the, the clothing and the way she's characterized here. Well, Clothing aside, there's a six-year gap between her and Anakin. He's 20 as of Attack of the Clones, so as of the beginning of the Clone Wars, and she is 14. All right, six years, that is a big difference there, right? Uh, when he, as you said, you know, if, if he's the senior, she's the freshman. Or in this case, I guess if he's the senior, she's someone who is in middle school at this yep. point. Because she's a freshman at the time where he would be like a sophomore or whatever uh, in college at that point. But of course, as time goes on... We all know that in in human terms, the age differences stop meaning all that much. Like if you're in high school and you are 16 years old and you are dating someone who is 17, if something happens in many states, that's statutory rape. Okay. Whereas a one year difference means nothing in the grand scheme of things for adults. Uh, in my case, you know, me and my fiance, I'm 33, she's 24. Uh, depending on the time of year, we have either a nine or a 10 year. Uh, gap between the two of us. She was born in January of 89. I was born in October of 79. Um, but now it sometimes makes a difference in terms of what our perspective is on certain issues based on, you know, what we grew up with in either the 80s or the 90s, I guess. Um, but it doesn't really affect things in a big way. And I know that eventually it'll be like my mom and stepdad or my dad and stepmom, where there's, you know, I, my dad and stepmom, for instance, have a 10 year difference, but it really doesn't affect anything. At this point, though, you're on the spot where I think that six-year gap creates enough of a difference between Anakin and Ahsoka, at least as the series begins, that she probably should have been acting a little bit more respectful, a little bit less chummy to start with. It's it's kind of like he's having trouble seeing her, trying to figure out whether or not to look at her as a child or not. Very much like I know that if, uh, I mean, in my case, just personally, um, when I started teaching, I was 22, about to turn 23, teaching people who were 17 and 18, which meant that they were less removed from me than most of my colleagues were. And you have to keep that professional distance. It's part of the discipline of the job of teaching. And here's Anakin having to get into the mindset of being someone who is essentially a teacher. You know, like like Padme said at one point, I can't believe they let you teach. Um and, you know, he has to be able to make that type of, of separation, which is why I think the whole Sky Guy Snips thing, I don't know, it, it either serves to make her seem more kitty and create that distance, or it's something that's disrespectful and should not have been allowed if that distance was going to exist. It, it's hard for me to, to figure out exactly where they were trying to go with it. But to me, the big thing with Ahsoka for a long time, that, that graded on me and graded on some other fans was her attire. Now in the series, she's 16, probably going on 17-ish, and she's looking like she's going out to a club. She's got the pants with the little holes in the side. She's got the shirt that's got the boob window to it and all that kind of stuff. Um, but she's 16. 
that's age of consent in many states, um, especially, you know, if we're talking about a saga that's based on classical, you know, eras, because, of course, you know, pretty much once you were able to have children, you were thought of as an adult in many respects in, in, uh, in earlier days in uh, Western society and, of course, in other parts of the world and such. But at 14, she was this little Jedi Padawan running around in basically a mini skirt and a midriff whereas others were not. I mean, the only person dressed close to her was Ayla Secura. And yeah. it always felt to me like that was, it was over-sexualizing the character. They didn't play it up as a sexualizing of the character, but it didn't seem to fit. And if she's supposed to be this role model character for young girls, which is what they kept purporting, it felt as though they were doing, they were sending the wrong message by saying, you know what, American society has girls dressing skankily younger and younger now, so we're going to go with the times and have this 14-year-old dressing like, uh, as a Jedi Padawan, dressing like she's going out to a club. And that, that begs the question, because I have no children, okay? Mm. I've helped raise some kids for brief periods of time with people I was dating and stuff like that, but I have no children of my own. You have two daughters. Would you allow one of your daughters at age 14 to go around dressed like Ahsoka in this series, in this season? And on top of that, what would you think of one of your daughters at 16 dressing like Ahsoka is in the later seasons of The Clone Wars? Am I wrong in this? Am I just a fuddy-duddy who's sort of out of my element? Uh, or is this something we have a right to be concerned about because of the way they've created this character based on her age and the social norms that are out there? I'm going to tackle this in two aspects, an EU aspect and then the father aspect. On the EU side, I would see it kind of being one of those things where they could have treated it like a species, uh, you know, kind of an ability kind of thing. Like, you know, we see Anakin when he goes from, you know, Tatooine and he goes to Naboo and he gets on, out into space. He's cold, you know, because he's used to a hot planet. Well, maybe their metabolism runs so hot that they're just constantly burning up. But, the, you know, they never say anything like that. But that could have been the out. I constantly I thought about that, you know, as I'm watching them walking around. Going, Man, aren't they cold? But from the dad side of things, it's tough because my daughter right now, she's 10. And my mom and my sister, my daughter's aunt, they both kind of uh, at times disagree with some of the stuff that me and my wife let my daughter wear. My daughter likes to wear really short shorts. And I am on the fence about this. Sometimes I don't have a problem with the short skirts and stuff like that. But some of the shorts can be really short. And I have a problem with those. And I've been talking to my daughter about, you know, as you're getting older, guys are going to start fixating on certain aspects of you and what you're wearing are going to be showing those aspects off and pointing that kind of stuff out. Because as she gets older, I'm going to have to put the hammer down and be like, you can't wear that. You know, you're. Right now, she's still a little girl. She looks like a little girl, but every day she looks more and more like a woman. And that's the aspect that I'm I'm trying to protect her from is the 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 men are pig side of things, where they're not seeing the age. You know, I mean, you mentioned you and and, and Jody's age difference, and at, at a, the age you're at now, that seems totally normal, which it is. But if you say, you know, Nathan, you're 11. How old's Jody? You know, then then everybody's like, whoa, wait, that's not so normal. But People forget that people age. And I, I say that because I dated a girl that was three years younger than me. And I broke up with her because she was younger than my sister, who was three years younger than me. And I had such a problem with that when I was 17. But then when I got older, I was like, what an idiot was I that I broke up with a perfectly decent girl. She was awesome. You know, she was a sexy girl, a decent girl, all this cool stuff about this girl. And I just broke up with her because of a hang up over age that was really nothing in the grand scheme of things. 
you know, but it's one of those things that as an, as an adult and as a father, you know, it, it's constantly there. And, and it would be kind of nice to see a Jedi, maybe even comment on that. And of course, you know, there's the other aspect of that, which is, you know, if the TV series won't comment on it, someone will. Uh, in No Prisoners, Karen Travis does have Galad Pelian basically tell her that she needs to put some clothes on. That, you know, <laughs> she's not going to fight wearing that, which I thought was 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 decent. So overall, I mean, a, a good film. I actually like watching the film. I actually enjoy watching the Clone Wars film more than I enjoy watching The Phantom Menace. But it's certainly nothing compared to what we get later on. Though I will say that it feels clumsy when they try to take some episodes that are meant to be multi-episode arcs and edit them together to make films out of it. I'm not a big fan, for instance, of them doing that with the Night Sisters trilogy and releasing that through iTunes. Um, and I'm not a big fan of that Darth Maul Returns DVD that they put out that re-edited together the last four episodes of Season 4 in a somewhat different order than they were in in the first place um, to try to make that into a feature-length production. I think this works better when the episodes are treated like episodes and the films are treated like films. And this one they caught on early enough that it wasn't four completed episodes, from what I understand, that they edited together. It was basically four episodes that were in the process, and they reworked it into a film before they actually started producing anything, which makes this work as a film, whereas the other ones, eh, not as much. You know, leave those as multi-episode arcs. Leave it the way it was meant to be consumed. Do you think maybe that that's a step away from the George Lucas structure? I mean, Lucas, and in this aspect, I'm talking about canon. Anything Lucas does today is canon. That's how they always treated it. Yet now we're getting even the Clone Wars presented in movie forms that are slightly out of order. But instead of that trumping what we had before, we're finally saying, no, we're going to go with the actual order. We're not going to go with whatever's new trumping what's old and how it's presented. We're just going to go with this is what it was and this is what it always was. But we'll present other things in a different way. Because it's not like just because they were presented in a different format, suddenly those events happened only in that precise manner they still happen the way they were originally intended as is episode or i'm sorry season one just because we saw it out of order the events didn't happen out of order i don't know i i just with this whole disney acquisition and stuff i'm i'm waiting for them to say canon as you know it is changing you know i'm waiting for a statement along those lines because it seems like we've been watching that kind of working its way that canon as itself and and how you know the the market of star wars has treated it is evolving. Well, I mean, this series in and of itself, you know, it, it altered canon. It created T canon, television canon. It's the only thing that exists in that level at this point. It's got Lucas's direct involvement, but not as heavy as in the films, yet not as hands-off as once originally, you know, pitching out some of the information, say, for the Ewok telemovies or the Droids or Ewoks cartoon series. Um, I'm curious where they're going to go with this. But yeah, I do like the fact that, you know, Lucasfilm sort of puts its foot down on some things. Like, okay, the actual order of season five is going to have revival before the other three Darth Maul episodes where it was meant to be, not in the aired order where it created all kinds of continuity issues with the situation on Florum or with Adigalia all of a sudden suddenly being alive again in the next episode and that sort of thing. Um, I'm eagerly awaiting Jason Fry's official episode order uh, reveal, so to speak, in uh, the book that's going to be coming out in the near future and more of Leland Chiza releases on the Star Wars blog. Granted, I think we have a pretty good idea of how the episodes work already anyway, thanks to the uh, the visual guide and some of the other stuff uh, that Leland Chi has put out there. But uh, it'll be interesting when it's sort of sort of more common knowledge, 
I guess, thanks to those types of guidebooks. Because most people don't even realize, for instance, that the order they show up in the visual guide, except for that one flip-flop thing with the Mandalorian episodes, is actually the order we're supposed to consider the episodes in chronological order. But if you compare that to what Leland Chi is putting out there on the Star Wars blog right now, it is. Um, it's just one of those things that most people don't think about because that's not the type of guidebook you'd expect to be the one to premiere that type of very important, <laughs> you know, chronological information. Albeit, you know, it's a, it's a cool guide. You would just think it'd be like some kind of episode guide or, or some kind of chronology or something like that instead. And speaking of information, and the one last thing about the series that, that tweaks me, and granted, it could be a, a boon later if they decide to come back and fill in these stories. In the movie, The Twilight Goes Down on Tatooine. And then all of a sudden in this TV show, Anakin's got it back. As far as I can see on the Wikipedia, Jaws fix it and he gets it. But I don't know even where they found that out. I mean, I, that aspect of we're supposed to fill in the dots between stuff and they make these dots sometimes so far apart. You're like, is there other dots in between these dots? I don't even know. That kind of irks me. You know, I just like I, I like to know that they have an idea of how these things are just going to go together. Otherwise it's just like, Oh, we just need to do this. And it's throwing a dart at the arrow and Oh, what can, what can make that happen? Well, let's see. Let's just take this, that, and the other thing. Reminds me of Toto 360, uh, Cad Bane's droid who gets blown up only for them to have to turn around and say, Oh yeah, uh, Anakin finds all its parts and thinking that they could get information from him. Uh, Anakin rebuilds him, but then he escapes, which is how he shows up in other episodes after he has blown up. Uh, I don't know. I, I think that's just sort of the nature of the beast with the let's create things somewhat out of order and whatnot. Uh, and let's try to tell these succinct little stories and sometimes leave the fluff to just be assumed or to be built into that opening crawl. Although, of course, we also do sometimes get episodes where it feels like the entire episode, like, say, uh, A Sunny Day in the Void, where you could have mm. taken that entire episode and made it into just the little opening a newsreel of the following episode and have freed up an entire episode's worth of space in the production schedule. That about wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. Thank you for hanging around with us and sharing the fandom. Uh, lastly, before we go, we wanted to remind you about our Audible trial. If you go to www.audibletrial.com slash Report, you can get a free trial run of audible.com to see what Audible experience is all about. You can explore more than 100,000 titles. So you can make the jump to hyperspace and jump right into the galaxy far, far away, or you can explore a new genre without any risk of purchasing a book you might hate. Audible members can exchange any book within 12 months, no questions asked. You can ditch the Crystal Star and move on to Darth Plagueis worry-free instead of having to worry about books that don't thrill you. You don't have to buy it. In this digital age, if you're making the switch from the page to the screen, Audible just might be for you. And of course, you mentioned the Crystal Star there. I'd be remiss if we didn't note here that we have our winner in the Crystal Star contest. That lucky gent is Mark Hodge. Also, folks, until next Friday, we do have that contest still going on for Star Wars number one. It is a first printing newsstand, which is somewhat the rarer copy of Star Wars number one, the recent release with the Brian Wood series, plus a slightly uh, wrinkled-edged copy of uh, the second printing. The second printing there just kind of as a bonus. I wasn't sure whether to give it away or not, but I figured, hey, maybe the person who gets this uh, number one first printing will be able to get something out of that as well, uh, having that other cover variant of it. So go by the Facebook page. You can enter the contest. You're going to be sending an email to Nathan at StarWarsFanWars.com, the subject line, Newsstand, with your mailing address in the body of the email. But bear in mind, this contest began on Friday the 15th. It is going to be ending on March 1st. 
And remember, you can always listen to our episodes streaming online at the Star Wars Report website, www.starwarsreport.com. And as we said, our episodes are also available right on our Facebook page at SW Beyond Films. So if you have anything to say about any Star Wars or EU questions or just something to say about an episode in general, fire off. You can email us directly at SWBeyondFilms at StarWarsFanWorks.com. So, once again, for Star Wars Beyond the Films, this has been Whistler and Mark. And Nathan, eager to move on to Season 2. Thanks for listening, and may the Force be with you. And don't quote us the odds. I got nothing.